Welcome back. How are y'all doing? It's been fun to see where everybody sits when they come back to uh, the old room for some, new room for others. Some of you switch sides from in there. Um, it was interesting. Some of you found exactly the same spot that you were in once before. That's cool. We've got some books for you, or journals. Um, this is a book of Ephesians journal that I came across and thought it'd be neat for us to have. These are for um, older kids and up. So let's, uh, let's uh, say that uh, the COM 56 kids all the way up through adults. Uh, parents, if you feel like that your kid will actually use this um, and is a little bit younger than that, I'll leave that up to you. We just don't want them just used for coloring books. So uh, they're not cheap. They're not, you know, going to break the bank any, or anything, but um, let's just use them uh, the best way. Oh, and the pens may not work. I grabbed some of these. So if you want to test out the pens on a note card, there's plenty of those. So make sure everybody come 56 and up gets a journal and a pen if you want one. Uh, random pens that maybe haven't been used in a while in the drawer, but... Those are for you to take notes in, to draw. This is kind of a cool artsy thing. There's the, some lady that some of you probably maybe have heard of before. Um, does this neat artwork throughout the, the journal. And um, so you may be into drawing more than taking notes. And that's fine. It's not necessarily for you to take notes in while we're in here even. You may take a few notes. You may take a few notes on your own. Uh, this is for you to keep, put your name in it. That'd be a good place to start on the first day of class, right? Um, put your name in it. Uh, in case you leave it, we'll be able to connect it back to you because hopefully by the end of this study, you're going to have a wealth of personal information that you've got stored up in this little journal uh, that you will want to, to use as you press forward in your spiritual journey as well as... Um, being able to go back to at times. Everybody got a book. All right, we'll take it out. Open to the first chapter of Ephesians. And we're going to start with reading the first three verses that we're going to be looking at today. It says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray. God, as we begin this new um, look at your holy scripture found in what we call the book of Ephesians today that we have in our hands. Um, we ask that you illuminate it by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you speak to us with words that maybe have never been spoken to us before, directly from you, to our heart, to our soul. And I pray, God, as we move forward throughout this year in this study, that the riches 
of the information that you have passed on to us in this letter would change us, would make us more like you, and would allow us to be a part of you changing this world. So we commit this time to you, we commit this study to you, and we look forward with great anticipation for it's for your glory, whatever you do in all this. May it be so, in Jesus, amen. All right, I asked you how you're doing a while ago. I really mean it. How, how are you doing? How are you feeling right now? Like how, are you comfortable? Um, I, want, I want to kind of go a direction that I probably couldn't have gone several years ago because everybody would have been looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about because most of you were like Nate and Jessica's age or something and like pain and, you know, those aches and pains, uh, irrelevant to you, right? But I feel like that there's more of you that have moved into that category where you just kind of start to feel stuff in your body that you didn't feel when you were in your teens and 20s. I realize that some of you that are younger, you still like will complain about your body. Like Sarah Kate will say, oh, it hurts so bad. And then she'll go dance to nutcrackers, you know, like, Okay, yeah, it hurts, but you can get over it. Like when I hurt, like I don't move, like I, I'm not going anywhere. Right now, my back is like really tight in here, and I've been trying to get on the floor and stretch and do all kind of stuff, and it's not helping. And I don't even know, I didn't do anything. I don't, I don't know where it came from. It just decided to do that one day. One day uh, this week, my ankle, walking down the stairs, like, what is that? It just hurt. I mean, I've, I've sprained my ankles playing basketball like six times, and there's nothing holding them together except scar tissue. So they just, you know, randomly do stuff. My knees are bad. You know, it, I have tennis elbow, and I don't even play tennis. It's, things just hurt now. Like, it, it's hard getting out of bed, and I, I don't like that. I think some of you can identify with that, uh, or at least beginning to. Um, but but what, what's happened is over the years, whether it's injuries or uh, just age um, or fried chicken and Dr. Pepper, I don't know. I mean, it, my body has been corrupted by all that stuff. My, my, my muscles and my joints, they don't function the way that they used to. Um, Father time is always going to win, right? I mean, maybe if I was Tom Brady or or Vince Carter or Keith Sewell, um, I I could like kind of push that back a little bit further. But it's catching up and and he's always going to win. I chose the title Love Incorruptible for the new study uh, that we're doing in the book of Ephesians. If you'll flip over... Uh, into uh, the book, and uh, looks like it's page 28, which is the very last uh, words of the, the letter. And you'll look at the last two words of the entire book. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And I just felt like that's where we're headed. Like that's the end that's what God wants to bring us to, to be able to, 
to have and to know love incorruptible. And so that's what the book of Ephesians, I think, is, is, is calling us to. I think it's calling us to that kind of love. I think it's calling us out of uh, a culture that has corrupted us. The, the, the culture uh, of the, the, the fried chicken and the, the Dr. Pepper, uh, the, the culture of the, the, the bumps and the bruises and the, and the, the time um, that has distorted our understanding of what it means to love one another. To love God, to love the creation that we live in and to truly experience his love. I also think that Ephesians is calling us up to something. It's calling us up to a, a, a new way of thinking and living that is more worthy of this God, the one who sent his one and only son to die for us so that in that perfect love, we might live for eternity with him and reign in a kingdom that's undefiled by the wages of sin and death. Um, our, our definition from the, uh, uh, I don't know what the blue thing is, just ignore that, but uh, to be incorruptible according to the, the, the dictionary uh, means that it, something is not corruptible, uh, that it, it cannot be perverted or bribed, that it will not dissolve, disintegrate, decay, etc. cetera. Uh, there's lots of things that we wish weren't corrupted or we're, we're incorruptible. Uh, I, I think we would probably all agree that it'd be great if our government, if our politicians were incorruptible, right? But we've long given up that hope. Um, I, I just wish for something simple like my bananas. Like, could they not go bad so quick? Like, could they just be incorruptible and just always be at that ripe, kind of almost crunchy stage that I love? Otherwise, I'm not interested in them. But they're, they're corruptible. They're, oxygen stuff happens, okay? So bananas aren't good anymore. Uh, w- could we know a love? Could we know a love? And could we express a love to one another and to God that is truly incorruptible? The reality of the world that we live in is that it desperately wants us to be in a love relationship with it. Sometimes that kind of love that the world offers is well-meaning. There's nothing wrong with it uh, per se, but it's just tainted enough that it's never really going to fulfill us. It's never going to always be there for us, to stay with us. And other times that love is intentionally deceptive, right? And it tricks us, and we fall for it. Or it's just plain so messed up that it hurts us and it tries to rob us of our very soul. But God says, no, hold on. That's not my love. That's not the kind of love that that I want you to know and experience. He says corrupted love isn't even love at all. Um, Don't be fooled by it. My love is undefiled. My love's perfect. And because of that, I've given you the power to love me back with that same kind of love and to love one another 
to love your neighbor, even to love your enemies with love incorruptible. I believe that Christians today have lost the power. We don't know how to speak to the issues in our culture the way we should. We don't know how to respond to criticism. We oftentimes choose not to make waves in in culture. And we definitely don't want to be seen as those people, right? We've lost the power because we've lost the love. We spend a lot of time trying to fit in with the world, to, to not stand out too much, to be relevant, to be cool. Sometimes we spend more time doing that or trying not to offend the world than we do really pursuing an authentic love relationship with Jesus. Maybe we've just gotten too comfortable with the security that his love provides us. And we've neglected how that same love is is really supposed to propel us, supposed to move us forward to do sometimes crazy things, sometimes unconventional things, sometimes dangerous things for him. So enter the book of Ephesians. If you're content right now with any kind of level of lukewarm Christianity uh, or powerless faith, then you need to avoid this book at all costs because it doesn't stand for that. There is no room in the theology that's set forth by uh, Paul in Ephesians for us to just sit and watch, for us to, uh, to be um, just weak, spineless Christians. There is power in this book. I love that there's a sword on the cover, and we're gonna get to you know, uh, the spiritual warfare part in chapter six, but there is power in this book. It beckons us, you and me, to fall in love with Jesus all over again. To truly, fully, intimately know his love incorruptible. And in so doing, to be able to live with the kind of power in the midst of a culture that sometimes is overtly, sometimes is subtly opposing the way of Christ. The first three chapters are gonna explain Uh, God's love for us uh, in in a way that's kind of set forth as foundational type theology, all right? And then as we move to the second three chapters, the second uh, half of the book, it's gonna give us a picture of what the new society, the church, is supposed to look like and answer some practical questions about how we're supposed to live. It's more the praxis section or the, the application of the first three uh, chapters. And throughout it it, it, it hopefully is going to inspire us to engage the world around us with the gospel of love in Jesus. It only, it only has six chapters, like we said. There's 155 verses. It'll take you less than 20 minutes to sit down and read it. All right, and we're going to ask that you do that um, in the next week. It was John Calvin's favorite letter. I think it's my favorite book of the Bible, really. And that's not just because we're studying it right now. Um, I think if I had one text, one document of Scripture to be able to 
kind of shape my life as well as uh, uh, tell me how we're supposed to do life together, uh, I think it would be Ephesians. I think there's, there's just so much richness in it. There's, there's beautiful song and, and poetry and, and inspiration, and there's very specific instruction for us. Uh, a lot of biblical scholars love this book and have said things like this. This sounds like a, like a movie critic thing, like uh, endorsing a movie. This would be uh, a really good sale, sale for that, and you'd want to go see this movie if you heard these things from leading theologians. One says, it's the crown of Paul's theology. Another says, it's the consummate and most comprehensive statement of the meaning of the Christian religion. Another says it's the divinest composition of man. And then finally, my favorite is pound for pound, the most influential document in history. Now that's pretty high praise for uh, uh, Ephesians. And I think it's worth us taking very seriously. And I think God has something powerful in it for us as individuals and us as a church as we move through 2019. So let's get to it. Uh, we're only going to look at the first three verses, like I said, but from these three verses, we're going to get a lot of really helpful background material for the rest of our study. Uh, I hope that you're not bored with background stuff. Uh, this is important. It sets the stage for where we're going. It gives everything that we're going to talk about from here on out context. So please stay with me on this. Um, I also think that today, what we're going to talk about specifically today, is going to lead us into what I think are just five things that matter for your Monday morning. For all of you, whether you're a kid, a teenager, uh, an adult, whether you're, you're going back to school or going back to work or going back to homeschool or, or going back to raising small children, uh, whatever you're going back to tomorrow, uh, I think that there's some practical stuff for us to take with us. Okay, so verse one starts with Paul. Now, this is a common way that, that letters started in this day. If you were going to write a letter, you would put your name as the sender, uh, then you put the recipient's name, and then you'd give a greeting, uh, maybe a prayer or some kind of wish for health. Uh, then you'd get to the body of the letter, what you want to say, and then there'd be a conclusion. And that's exactly how Paul writes this. Uh, there's Never been any debate about in, in the early church leading all the way up to the 19th century that, that Paul was not the author. And then some German guys decided, hey, let's debate this. And I, I think it's stupid, but um, the, there really isn't any good debate about whether Paul is the, uh, there's a lot of it, but I don't think it's, it's any good. Uh, so we're going with Paul, and, and there's a lot of reasons why they, this is, uh, well, we'll talk about that, but, um, but let's, we're, we're, we're not going to argue with the fact that Paul is the writer of this letter. And so, um, who is that Paul? I mean, I, I think we know, but just refresher. This is the same guy that used to be named Saul, right? He was named after King Saul, who was a tall, vain Benjamite, and... We all know the, the stories about King Saul and, and how messed up some of the stuff he did. Um, that's who Paul was named after when he was Saul, prior to coming to know Jesus, prior to surrendering his life to Christ. Um, and as the church started, Paul, as a, as a, a leader in uh, the, the, the kind of the Pharisees, um, 
he was, uh, would be, like if we were living that time, if we're gathered right now as Christians in that first century church, uh, we would know who Paul is and, and he would be like the, the top 10 most wanted terrorists against us, against the Christian uh, group. Uh, he, was, he was feared, he was hated. Uh, that's who he was. So he goes on to write most of the New Testament. Uh, that, I mean, crazy, right? That's what God does. That's, that's what Jesus does when, when you meet him. I mean, if, if, if somebody is sitting here today, this may be it for you. This may be all you need to hear is that if, if God can take a guy like that and do this amazing stuff with, I mean, he, he can use you. Like, no question. That's, that's the God that we know. That's what he does. And he goes on to say that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, in light of him, him coming to know Jesus as his Lord, uh, he, he gets named Paul, which actually means small. So he goes from having this name that, that's reflective of this, this, this grandiose you know, leader, King Saul, uh, to now being known as small. And uh, he adds this part of his name or, or the or kind of defining who he is as if to say, Paul's not really important. What's important is, is that I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not bragging. He's, he's trying to lift up Jesus in this moment because that's what, he wants us to measure on as, as we hear these words. Um, an apostle, if you remember, is not a term that can be thrown around lightly. And there's not any of those around today. We don't have apostles anymore because they're the people who actually saw the risen Christ and were commissioned by him for something specific, okay? So Paul became one of those. He wasn't one of those first 12, right? Because he's persecuting the Christians, uh, during that time, uh, you know, okaying the, 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 the deaths of many believers. But he becomes Paul. He becomes new in Jesus. All right, so he's now an apostle because he's met Jesus and Jesus says, go and preach the gospel. And so that's what he's doing uh, in, in this book right here. It says, by the will of God. Paul's ministry and his apostleship was not something that he chose. It wasn't by Paul's will. It was by the will of God. God chose him. God directed him to go and do this ministry. And so whatever we do, whatever we feel like called to do, it's not us. We, we need to know that it's not us. That it's not just because we're talented at something. Uh, it's because God chose you to do something. He is calling you out. He, it's by his will. And so this isn't the kind of will that we think, you know, I just want to know the will of God uh, what, for my life. This is more about God's direction on humanity. Like by God's will, he made this happen. And he says he's writing it to the saints, the holy ones. That's what saints means, set apart. And this is... Uh, a pretty grand statement by Paul right here because 
uh, saints is really an Old Testament term that was reserved for God's people, for Israel, uh, even used for angels uh, sometimes. But it was never, never used when talking about Gentiles. And so that's who Paul is writing to because we'll see in a minute that, that uh, the, the church that is receiving this is mostly made up of Gentiles. So he says to the saints, he's bringing, uh, in Romans 11, Paul uh, even calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's, he's bringing that calling, he's bringing this ministry, he's bringing us really into the picture uh, as those who are holy, those who are set apart. And then he says, who are in Ephesus. Now, this is something that is really debated, and, and it has some merit, okay? The original manuscripts, or at least what we, the earliest ones that we have, I should say, uh, do not include in Ephesus. There's no mention of this letter being written to a specific group of people. So what scholars uh, tend to, to believe is that somewhere along the line, uh, those words in Ephesus were added because this was a letter that went to the churches in Asia Minor. And Ephesus was kind of the chief city of that region. It's the fifth largest city in the world at that time, so major metropolitan city. Uh, but I think it's F.F. F. Bruce uh, that, that says that he believes that Ephesians was written in such a way that we're supposed to insert as a church our own name. So as this went to the church in Laodicea or any other church, that they would just insert their name uh, in this spot as Paul has written it because it's meant to be a circular letter. It's meant to be a general letter uh, that's, that's written to all the churches in Asia Minor. And you'll see the difference in some of Paul's letters if you look at uh, how this is written. And this is where some of the debate comes from about whether it was really Paul or not. But, um, but he spent a lot of time in this region. Uh, that this, uh, the, the idea is that this was to be read in, in all churches. And it's, there's, Ephesians is not directed at any specific issue like uh, a lot of the, Paul's letters are. He's not writing to be corrective about something that's going on in the church at Philippi or something. It's more general. And so it is then known as the most contemporary letter of Paul's writings, which means it's the most relevant to us today. Uh, apart from some, some uh, corrective stuff about slavery, everything else is like right in our wheelhouse. Like it's, it's as if Paul is writing to us today and we can read it that way. Um, the, the paganism that was going on uh, in, in this region is very akin to stuff that we deal with today. Um, Paul spent a lot of time in Asia Minor uh, and specifically in Ephesus uh, in this city we can learn from like knowing things about Ephesus. We don't necessarily take all that and say, well, he, he meant it just for that group, in other words. So as we read this, it's completely fair for us to, to just apply it in a general sense to our situation, because I think that's the way it was meant to be written. Um, like I said, uh, knowing a little bit about Ephesus is important. Uh, like uh, it, it hosted... Olympic-like games, it had this huge arena. Paul even makes reference to possibly being thrown into that arena as sport uh, during his 
time there uh, for some problems that, that happened. So he may have been running from some wild animals in, in the arena in Ephesus at one time. I think something else that's important to know about Ephesus is it's the home of the Roman goddess Diana. And that was a big deal in this region. Uh, the, the temple of Diana that was there was like 10 times larger than the Parthenon. And she was worshipped by many, many people. It wasn't just some small cult. It, this was the kind of the, the, the big religion of the day there, along with the emperor, the Roman emperor, who was also worshipped. And so what you see happening is there's some competing gospel going on, right? Like, so when Paul's trying to preach in Ephesus, in this region, he's going up against people who are worshipping the emperor, that if they don't, they're going to get killed, and people who are worshipping Diana, who like that kind of runs the society. In fact, uh, Paul and some of the Christians got in some big trouble back in, uh, it, it, you read about it in Acts, where they were uh, kind of messing up the whole uh, social um, and financial structure of society because uh, Christians weren't, as they turned away from worshiping Diana, they weren't buying these little silver idols that were, that were made. And so the silversmiths got mad at them and said, we got to do something about this group because they're, they're making us lose business. We're not selling as many of these little silver trinkets anymore that are the, the idol for uh, worshiping Diana. And then um, Acts 17 talks about how just when they were there, like they were, literally were... Uh, thought of and looked upon as people who were kind of turning the world upside down. Now, when I hear that stuff, I have to think, like, what about us? I mean, is that what we're doing to society? Does, does culture look at us and say, you're, you're, uh, you're wrecking what we're trying to do. You're, uh, you're having so much inroads into our way of doing things, into our systems that you are a threat, that you are to be feared, and, uh, and we don't like you because of that. Uh, and it's not that they were trying to do that. They're not trying to like, cause people to not uh, have a livelihood, uh, these, these silversmiths. But the, the result of them just being followers of Jesus was disrupting the way of life in that city. Is the way that we're following Jesus disruptive to the culture around us? He says that these saints are faithful. Now, he doesn't mean that they're like really on fire necessarily. Um, it's more about their position. Uh, the, the, the word used here is uh, to, to kind of make us think about who they are because he follows it in Christ Jesus. Who they are is in Christ Jesus. That position that they have is in Christ Jesus. And that, those two little words are really the main message of Paul uh, in this book. In Christ. You're going to see it over and over again. If you or I have any kind of identity crisis about who we are, Ephesians is going to help us with that. Because Paul wants us to know, and it's talked about more than any other book in the Bible, in Christ, you are this. 
there, we, could, we could look at several verses, and we might do this next week, that, that say, once you were like this, but in Christ, you're this, okay? You're, you're new, you're different. And so over and over again, Paul is trying to hammer home this idea that we're not the way that we used to be. And he's the perfect person to tell that story, right? Because he's not the way that he used to be. So this makes this book uh, uh, arguably the most important part of Paul's theology. Uh, flip a page, actually two pages, over to chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. Let me read what, it's a little, I'm getting into, uh, out of my lane here and into the, the next stuff, but I want you to see this. But God, in, in verse 4, uh, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transpa trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus so so a preview of where Paul's going with this idea of of our identity the message of Ephesians is that in Christ God has created a new society. Ephesians talks more about the church. Than, I mean, it's rich theology about the church. That's us, the new society that's characterized by this incorruptible love. We need to believe it. We need to live like it. We need to proclaim it. We need to stand firm in it. And we need to await its fulfillment. Ephesians is going to help us do all of those things. Moving on to verse 2. Grace to you and peace. Now that sounds like a, uh, that's just one of those things that we read. If you set out, if you say, I, I'm going to read some scripture today, and you say, uh, Ephesians seems like a good place to start. You might, you might have just read past all of this stuff. I mean, I would. Uh, it, it just with a cursory reading. It's, oh, that sounds nice. Grace and peace. That's a nice thing to say. It seems like something Paul says a lot. It's, 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 it's sweet. Uh, but this isn't just a regular greeting. Now, greeting is part of every letter, but, but let me show you what's different about this greeting. So the, the common Greek greeting was the word rejoice. And I can't say it, and I'm not a Greek scholar, I'm not even going to try. There's like this real guttural sound. That, but, but the word basically, I'll say it the way I can say it, is uh, kare, okay? That's rejoice, Paul does this cool thing where he switches the word just a little bit because the, the, the Greek word for grace is charis. And so instead of using this common Roman greeting, Paul just, hey, this sounds really close, but it's, it's much deeper. It's much richer about what, and so he, he inserts this charis to say grace instead of rejoice. And he combines it with the Jewish greeting, shalom, peace, and, and, and in a sense brings these two worlds together and, and then puts this Christian twist on it, right? And so he's right here in just a few words into this book, he has preached the gospel because grace delivered to you through Jesus, brings peace to your life. 
So this isn't just any kind of greeting. This is rich with theology for Paul as he says, grace and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, he is blessed. Uh, He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. There we are again with in Christ, right? He's blessed us in Christ with what? And, and if, you, if you haven't done anything with your text yet, and if your pen actually works, then, then underline those in Christ for me, please. Because uh, this, this, this is stuff we need to come back to and, and just dwell on. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, you may believe that as you hear it, but do you really? I mean, it's easy to to believe if you flip over the page and look at verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. We don't have a problem with that. We can get our heads around the fact that Jesus has ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Good stuff, good Christology. No problem there. But can we flip one more to chapter two, verse six? Can we really fathom this, people? that we have been raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where we are right now. It's not just Jesus. And it's not a metaphor. Everything that Jesus has, you have. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, The Father has gifted to you the same as he did to Jesus. Talk about identity. Talk about confidence. Talk about, man, I know who my dad is. He got good stuff. We got cool places to live and to play and, and we got richness abounding that I can't even explain to you. And I, my fears just fade away when I dwell in that place, when I think on those things, when I think of that position, when I think about that, that love and that gift that I've been given. But we can't lose it. We can't lose this this power that we have in that reality. And it wasn't but about 20 or 30 years later, and this is the first thing I thought of when I thought about teaching Ephesians, was going to Revelation chapter two because John had a vision about a church, or about seven of them, that he was supposed to write to. And the first one was the church in Ephesus. And this was like 20, 30 years from the time of when Paul's writing this letter. 
And here's what happened to this church. Uh, John says, I write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all these things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. They cared about truth. And probably no other book in the Bible talks more about truth and love in that combination than Ephesians. In fact, um, the only book that talks more about love is, is 1 Corinthians. Uh, he, he sees that they're doing good things. They've, they've held out. They've endured. They've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. And they've discovered that they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me. This is Jesus writing to the church. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. I want you to think about, is there a time in your life that you can remember, that you absolutely know that you were more in love with Jesus than you are right now where you sit? I think for many of us, the answer is absolutely yes. The stuff of this world, the distractions, the busyness of life, uh, whatever, th things have gotten, gotten messed up. It, that love has been corrupted. It's not the same. That's not the way that God meant it to be for us. What do we do? He says, look, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Our application today is to start right here with what I just said, to confess that truth, that reality. I, I, I agree with you, Spirit, as you speak to me right now. I'm asking you to do this right now, by the way not just to listen to me. In fact, just to make it easier, go ahead and bow your heads. I promise I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. Ben, you can come on up. Agree with that reality in your life right now. Agree with the Spirit's assessment of where you are in your love relationship with Jesus and repent, tell him, I wanna go in that direction where I once was. I remember how awesome it was. I, I want that, Lord, I want that. I want that kind of relationship with you. Pray that to him. Keep praying it to him if you need to as we sing. But that's what we have to do if we're not passionately in love with him the way we once were. All right, you can look back up. Um, the next thing I, I want, and this is that Monday morning thing I want to uh, ask you to begin to do, is, is just to get in Christ, okay? Like, you know, just get in Christ. Like, and, and I'm, I'm getting real, like, silly and practical here just to hope that you remember some of this. Um, the... The Celtics used to do stuff like this, and I think it's really helpful just to use common stuff to, to lead us closer to Jesus. Um, but everything that you go into 
this week. Just say, just tell yourself, I'm in Christ. You go into class tomorrow, students. Don't just walk in that room. Say, I'm in Christ right now. When you, when you get in your car, when you leave here tonight, just tell yourself, I'm in Christ. Everything that you get in, when you get in bed at night, say, I'm in Christ. Isn't that awesome? When you get in your shoes in the morning, say, I'm in Christ. When you get in the shower, when you get in trouble, I'm in Christ. Let's make that part of your week. Just to say that, just to speak those two little words over and over to yourself. Also, I want to ask you to begin to memorize one passage of each chapter of Ephesians as we go through 2019. Just pick out one. This God speaking to me in chapter one about this verse or this passage. I'm going to memorize it. Put that in my life. Like I said, 20 minutes. Read it. Read the whole thing this week. Find the time. And keep bringing this so we can use it together. And then the last thing is, is just to speak grace and peace over one another, over the people that you meet, over your own life, over your enemies' lives. Speak grace and peace to one another. Good theology ought to lead us to good doxology. I didn't make that up, but I love it. Um, that just means that we... If, if we have good theology, we ought to be praising the Lord really well. And we're at quitting time, I get it, but we're going to sing. And as we encounter good theology, that ought to make us praise the Lord a little bit louder and a little bit more passionately. So let's do that together as we close today. Stand up and let's give it to him.